1: It was a week like no other ever seen on Wall Street. The coronavirus crisis sending shockwaves through the market, the economy, and our collective nerves. The Dow seeing both its biggest point gain and its biggest point loss ever this week. All told, the Dow dropped 17%, the worst week since 2008. And perhaps this is the saddest and most incredible market stat that you will hear today. The Dow now on pace for its worst month since 19. 31. On that note, welcome everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. The market meltdown comes as Congress scrambles to launch a massive aid package to help millions of Americans who are likely to either lose their jobs or a good portion of their incomes. We're going to hear more about all of this in moments. Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania will be joining us live exclusively. He has been inside the 11th hour negotiations on the Hill. We'll get answers on what the ultimate stimulus plan may look like and what aid packages are likely to come and whether regulators you need to consider banning, short-selling, or reinstituting certain rules in the near term. That big interview is ahead. But let's break down this historic week. Joining us now, our friends Guy Adami, Tim Seymour joining us in moments as well. All right. A few hours ago, we learned that a big Chicago firm, Ronin Capital, was unable to meet its capital requirements. This forced the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to invoke emergency rules and auction off its portfolio. Guy Dami, we lost a few hundred points toward the last hour. Do you think that news exacerbated the selling? And do you believe there are more firms like Ronin out there?
2: Yeah, that's been my concern, Brian. And listen, folks, we're, it's Friday. We're one week closer to getting on the other side of this. I think everybody should take some comfort in that. But, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And that's something we've been talking about for a long time. That you're probably not going to see the bottom of this until you see a firm or a number of firms effectively blow up. And I think, so listen, I don't risk anybody any ill will whatsoever, but in terms of uh, trying to identify a culmination of this, that's as good a sign as any. I also take some comfort in the fact that although I know the S&P was down big again today, I know that, I understand. I take some comfort at the fact that the bond market uh, is showing some signs, and I know this sounds ridiculous when it's down 28 basis points, but at least it's showing some signs of stabilization. I think that's really encouraging because if we start to lose that then things get really scary. So that was encouraging. Yeah, so yeah you I mean, know, you know, Tim the they're, they're- there and also by the way quickly, you know, the VIX didn't explode as well. So although it was a painful day You have to look for some green suits, I think,
1: Brian. We do. We certainly all need that right now. And, Tim, you know, listen, there were some rattles out there in the mortgage-backed bond market. And, of course, that brings back a lot of thoughts of 2007, 2008. The Federal Reserve stepping into that market, getting notes from mortgage-backed bond traders today. That seemed to calm the market. I don't want to get in the weeds of mortgage-backed securities, but if we can sort of, I don't know, put a Band-Aid on some of these issues now, should that calm the overall equity markets? yeah I, I
3: look, but I think liquidity issues in the market are critical right now, and, and what we're hearing about with leverage players hedge funds uh, obviously the uh, the derivative factor of the mortgage markets. Uh, are a part of what made 2008 extraordinary and extraordinarily difficult for not just policymakers, but for market participants. Uh, there's much less liquidity in the market today, sadly, um, and that's good and bad. Uh, the, the, the byproduct of, of taking leverage down at banks, at prop desks, et cetera, Uh, Means that I don't think we have the same problems. Uh, The problems here are are ones that are absolutely related to the stick being thrown in the bicycle spokes of the global economy and truly stopping. Uh, We're going to see earnings declines on the S&P. I think between eight and ten percent. It's impossible to know because it's impossible to know the duration. I also, though, read J.P. Morgan's piece today, and and these are guys that are on our show on Fast Money all the time. You know, Marco and Crew say that you should be looking for 2021 of plus 15 percent in S and P. So, um, obviously, as we know, the curve uh, in terms of the 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 virus and the peak impact uh, is not only critical on a health perspective, and that's the most important thing right now, but it's critical uh, for uh, the markets in, in terms of how how severe and how deep uh, this contraction will be.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that we go through the markets this month, guys. This month, you're looking at crude oil down 49 percent, Bitcoin down 31 percent, the S&P down 31 percent. Everything that can be sold is apparently being sold. We got some data from EPFR. They track fund flows. Uh, $90 billion went into cash this week. Is cash still king, Guy Adami?
2: For right now it is. I mean, you know, Tim can speak to the U.S. dollar, but there clearly seems to be some rush uh, for the for the quote unquote safe haven of the U.S. dollar. And let me be clear what I said at the top of the show. I didn't say we're a week away from this ending. I said we are we're one week down. So that makes by definition one week less than we have to deal with this. So, again, I'm trying to somehow assuage some concerns out there. I know. There are a lot of people very upset, rightly so. But each week we can sort of plow through this is one week closer to getting to the other side, both hopefully on the health front and the economic front. In terms of what you said in the markets, I I would say again, I never thought the S&P 500 should have been where it was in the first place. But I've been saying that for months and months and months with the market just going up and up and up. So you can make an argument now – we're getting to levels that probably have overshot to the downside, but I still think in terms of levels, we probably have another eight to 10%. If you want an absolute level, I know, I think Scott Miner had mentioned 1700 in the S&P, which technicians will point to. I would point more like 2030, which would be the 50% retracement of all things the March 09 low and the recent all time high. So those are the things you need to be looking at again. I understand it's extraordinarily scary out there, but each day that goes by, we're one day closer to getting to the other side. That Well, was my well, point. well
1: 2030 on the S&P 500, Tim Seymour, would be about 11 percent or so from, from, from where we are right now. 1,700 would be an entirely different story. On a market already down 30 percent this month, do you see that much more downside coming as well, or do you disagree with Guy?
3: Well, I I think it's impossible to make this call. I think markets are are, uh, uh, reacting to the velocity of the move. And and actually, as I think Guy's talking about the relative victories of of, uh, where we've traded over the last five days, you you can make an argument that the market's actually uh, in a wide range, but has been thrashing around this uh, kind of 23 to 2400 level. And and the fact that you know if you look at the peak of the financial crisis where VIX levels got up to where we got earlier in the week, um, you started to then see uh, this moment where, for example, from I think you know October 24th to November 3rd or 4th, uh, the VIX declined by about 45%. Today, as we got below 50, uh, and if you look at the chart, uh, you can only hold uh, extreme volatility that high. Um, I I don't think that that's going to be the end, and I think what we'll do is we'll probably I think we'll continue to trade lower into next week, especially if the policymakers continue to uh, to step Mm -hmm. forward. Clearly, uh, local and state governments, on top of what the feds are doing, uh, are being very aggressive in in terms of trying to to change not only uh, the behavior, but the tone of the response. And I think that's that's good for volatility. Those are scary headlines. Like I live in New York. uh, I live in New York State. Uh, Those are headlines that a lot of people were reaching out and talking about and are fearful of. But those are the kinds of responses that we need to have to this health crisis, which is leading to an economic crisis. Let's get health and policy uh, moving in the same direction. And I think the markets, in terms of a volatility perspective, uh, I think are gonna trade lower.
1: Yeah, and you know, listen, Guy Dami, there are, I'm hearing from people that, and it's, it's a very sensitive topic, and it's, you don't wanna come across as being crass in any way or unfeeling or uncaring, because none of us are. But I'm hearing from a lot of people saying, when do we balance out the economic considerations of this, that, that we've got to consider where we may be in four to six months economically and health-wise, and how do we balance that out? And I'm also hearing from people saying that there's a panic in the market, in part because politicians seem like they are panicking. Do you feel like there's anything improper in any of those statements?
2: Well, I mean, I'll say this, I I put no trust in in our politicians whatsoever. What I put a great deal of trust in is the goodwill of of our fellow citizens, and I think you're seeing that all around the country right now. So I don't think any of us are relying upon the the intellect or the insight that many of these men and women have. I know I'm not, but what I am relying on is the fact that I can do something for my neighbor and hopefully my neighbor can do something for somebody else. And I think that's what will get us through it. That's what's gotten us through things in the past, and will get us through this one as well. And that's not me being Pollyanna-ish. That's the reality of the United States. When we face a common enemy, we, we, we put our differences aside and we do what's best for our neighbors. And that is my answer to that question. Now, again, I have no idea how this goes on, how long it goes on for. But, you know, each day... That we can sort of plow through and, and get close to the other side is a good day. That's my point, yeah. and I think that's the way we have to look at it. Tim, you know, we're just sort of crossing off days on the calendar right now.
1: Yeah, and Tim, you and your family live in New York City, so obviously you're you're in it more than than, than I am. Do you, do you do you agree, just as a person, not as a trader, uh, about the policy response? Do you feel like it is it is appropriate? Do you feel like it is maybe sufficient or insufficient?
3: I think the the most extreme policy socially we can exert that allows people to live their lives and doesn't create hysteria. Um, But 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 talking uh, government officials talking in stern, real, uh, in many cases, restrictive uh, tones and and edicts is 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 important. Uh, You know, the sense that that we're going to be different in this country than the rest of the world. We are different in this country, uh, but this epidemic will react the exact same way. Uh, we have to let this curve get knocked down. Uh, and then ultimately, we're going to have to pick up the economic pieces. And you know, back to the markets, the things that the market is trading on are these new headlines. The next phase is going to certainly be the job losses. Today, uh, the market rhetoric certainly was focused on the jobless claims number that we'll get next Thursday. There's a lot of estimates that have come out. And you know, people are, uh, again, all over the map on the bid ask. But but two million to two and a half million is, is uh, probably somewhere in the mean. Uh, and, and that's shocking. Yeah. Um, this is the type of job loss that we haven't seen in this country in a long time. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't this extreme and as overnight in the financial crisis, even though that was about uh, you know, changing the job loss uh, trajectory. And that was one of the first things that the Fed went after uh, when they came in and started to, to, to create monetary policy response. But I'm not sure that we've got that support here again. So we came into this at yeah. peak employment. We came into this at extreme market levels and extreme valuations that has as much to do with where we are in the markets right now um, as 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 obviously uh, putting the virus in the context of all. Yeah.
1: All right, guys. Good stuff. Guy Domi, Tim Seymour. Thank you very much, guys. Best to you and your families all weekend. And by the way, what Tim was referring to is a Goldman Sachs report that came out. I'm sure you heard about it. If you've been watching CNBC all day, it estimated that next week's job loss number unemployment claims could go to two to two and a half million It's at 250 or so thousand now in a week. If that occurs, we would have never seen that that quickly in the history of this country. All right, remember, be sure to catch our special markets report. Markets of turmoil tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern time on deck. The race to rescue the economy and its workers. Lawmakers scrambling at this hour to come up with a massive aid package to save the American economy. While keeping us healthy, we're going to take you to the front lines for those high-stakes negotiations. Senator Pat Toomey joins us exclusively when we come back.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: Hi, welcome back. You are looking live at Capitol Hill, where lawmakers are working feverishly to come up with a massive aid package, try to rescue the U.S. economy and its workers as the pandemic spreads. Let's get now to Kayla Tosh, She who is live in Washington with the very latest of where that stands at this hour. Kayla.
4: Brian, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has moved forward with the technical process to get the ball rolling um, uh, before a potential vote on the stimulus package on Monday. This is even as what exists now is just a skeleton outline of what they expect the different buckets of this aid to comprise. Remember, negotiations between Republicans and Democrats are still ongoing. The fine print of this still needs to be worked out. But the Senate Majority Leader wants to make clear that this is going to get done, and it's going to get done quickly. Here he is on the floor just moments ago.
1: Member-level discussion is going on as we speak. Uh, The goal is to reach agreements on each of the four components of the legislation by the end of the day. The Senate is here, we're working, and we're going to deliver.
4: There are still a few parts of this package that we are waiting to fill in. Uh, First, we're wondering what the final price tag of this is. The Treasury Department had outlined a trillion-dollar-plus stimulus package, but Democrats are eyeing additional uh, items that they want to be included in this package in order to secure their votes. And some of their proposals are in the realm of hundreds of billions of dollars in additional items. Also, conditions of aid. What are lawmakers going to demand of businesses in exchange for these loans or cash injections? And third, additional agency and business funding. The White House had requested close to $50 billion in additional agency funding earlier this week. That could go up. And then there's the whole host of businesses, Brian, uh, that have been asking for aid that are not currently included in the bill as it stands. Remains to be seen whether they will get a piece of this massive package. It is likely, Brian, that there will be a vote on this bill before there is a score from the Congressional Budget Office, meaning that this is an estimate of exactly what they're earmarking uh, and it's really unclear or it will be unclear uh, how many businesses could take advantage of it and what the final cost to the American taxpayer would be.
1: All right, Kayla. Thank
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals specialized across asset classes but united in collaboration our teams provide global and local expertise our investments shape tomorrow today pursue your tomorrow with pgim a leading global asset manager
4: what does it mean to be rich is it having more stories to share or time to give is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away
1: Why don't we try to clear up some of those hanging questions with a man who is on the front lines of these negotiations, Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, joining us now on the news line. Senator Toomey, thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. You heard, Kayla, uh, where do we stand right now, and do you have to wait for a CBO score to approve anything?
5: Uh, Brian, uh, we don't uh, actually have to wait for a CBO score to, to pass something. Obviously, we'd like to have as much information as possible about the total cost. But there is uh, an urgency here. Uh, several components of this, really virtually all of it, is, uh, is urgent. Uh, now, there's a, there's a lot to argue about um, how individual components are coming together. But uh, I think it's likely that there will be a vote early next week.
1: Have a, a day in mind. Are we Monday? Tuesday? Uh, the, the leader said it's going to be Monday, um, and he controls the
5: schedule. So, uh, you know, we're under a lot of pressure, those of us who are on the negotiating team, to get this pulled together and uh, get, get uh, agreements uh, ironed out by the end of the day today. Legislative language developed to reflect that tomorrow and a vote on Monday. That's the goal.
1: Listen, I I understand there are going to be some sticking points. Kayla reported on them. But do you get any sense, Senator, that we are facing a national crisis? It doesn't matter what your political party is. Do you feel like there is some bipartisan action taking place, unprecedented in modern times, perhaps, in that room?
5: Well, uh, I would say definitely that's been my experience. So everybody acknowledges that this is a very, very dangerous, uh, circumstances, both, um, obviously health-wise, but also very much so economically. Uh, I mean, to you take my state in Pennsylvania, our governor, uh, shut down all non-essential business last night. And, uh, you know, there are exceptions to that, but, but that's a very, very drastic step. You saw what's happened in California, my goodness. So, so our economy is going to be is going to be a dramatic contraction in the economy. There are entire businesses that have zero revenue and are going to have zero revenue for some time to come. Hopefully, a short time, but but some time. And so, there there has to be a response. And one of the things I'm focused on is making sure that we stand up a broad-based, large credit facility that will be able be available to stabilize markets. And we've seen the Fed step in and do that very effectively. I think in several Uh, different financial markets over the last uh, week or so, but also to provide liquidity to firms so that they can stay alive, pay their bills, hopefully retain their employees and be there when we get on the other side of this. Um, So so that's one of the uh, several large parts of this bill.
1: How did you come to the income level considerations. Okay, What we've got on NBC News is that people making up to 75000 will be eligible. Families making up to $150,000 uh, will be eligible for direct payments. But you know this. Here, here's where it gets sticky. In western Pennsylvania, the 15th district where you are, there are people, there are car salesmen, software salesmen, people who whose income is widely variable. And maybe last year they, they did well because the economy was booming. And now they're looking at at maybe no paycheck for months. Why the income limits there when there's when there's so much variance in so many different types of industries?
5: Well, you know, uh, when you're moving fast to respond to a crisis, it's it's not possible to have every possible contingency perfectly covered. That's one thing that's for sure. Um, there is a going to be a plus up in unemployment benefits. There is a liberalization of participation in unemployment. Um, there's probably going to be direct payments made to paid to people who've paid taxes. Uh, which by the way, that has a lot of problems with it, right? Most of those checks will go to people who don't actually need the money. And the history of these direct payments is that it really hasn't done much for economic growth. But be that as it may, I think that's going to be part of this package, and, uh, you know, the hope is that through the various components, uh, people are able to get through this, and when we do come out the other side, people um, are reasonably current on their bills, and they've got a job to go back to.
1: I want to ask about some market issues, Senator, if I may, which is, there's been, you know, a growing chorus, some chorus anyway. That because of what's going on and the hardships that people are facing trying to work from home remotely, et cetera, that we should either temporarily ban short selling or reinstitute what's called the uptick rule without getting wonky. Basically, you can only short a stock, bet it's going to fall when that stock is on the rise. Do you think either of those are appropriate?
5: So I, I am not a fan of, of uh, limiting the ability of the market to find its level. Uh, it's painful to watch. It's painful to experience. Uh, there's no question there's been tremendous wealth destruction recently. I am hopeful that these markets can come back when the economy comes back. But if we start uh, limiting trading or closing markets or, or constraining the ability to trade, then then we start to introduce some artificiality in the markets. We don't have good price information. And I think we're in a worse place. So I'm, I'm in favor of letting the market function.
1: All right. On a different topic here, there's been some reports out there that uh, Senators Richard Burr and Kelly Loeffler uh, sold a bunch of their personal stock, Senator, shortly after being briefed on maybe the extreme risks of the coronavirus. They can say they're blind trust. They could say they've got programs. Does the Senate need to take action or at least look deeper into both of those senators and their stock sales?
5: You know, I, I have not, I don't know anything at all about the circumstances uh, of those situations, so I have no idea whether they are a matter of concern. My understanding is in at least one such case, the uh, transactions in question have been turned over to the Ethics Committee. The Ethics Committee, this is what it exists for, to, to look at the actual circumstances, look at what happened, and determine whether or not there was any kind of ethical violation.
1: And finally, the issue of buybacks. Obviously, you've heard the president talk about it, that it sounds like the White House would be in favor of preventing companies from buying back their own stock if they take government aid. Would you be in favor of some kind of limitation on companies that take bailouts or aid, at least until that money is paid back? Yeah, no,
5: absolutely. The the purpose here is not to provide a credit facility for companies to then tap into uh, taxpayer-funded credit to buy back their stock. So for their duration, for a company that accesses these credit facilities that we're uh, hopefully going to stand up soon, as long as that loan is outstanding, I think it's quite reasonable to say you can't buy back your stock with this money during that period of time. Now, once that money is paid back, then, hey, companies need to be free to do what makes sense uh, for their shareholders, and that that might well include stock buyback. But but for the duration of, of an outstanding loan or, or guarantee, as the case may be, under a program like this, I think it is reasonable to say you can't use this money to buy back stock.
1: Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. Senator, it was a pleasure to have you on CNBC. Thank you. We look forward to that bill hopefully getting passed on Monday or Tuesday. Thank you, sir.
5: Thanks for having me, Brian.
1: Sure thing. All right, coming up, we're
0: going to head to the front lines of the U.S. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.